Hello, I'm Paul Scott, and today I'm talking to Nick Kelsall, Chief Executive Officer of Barter and Fittings Group, Norcross, ticker NXR. Thanks for joining me today, Nick. Uh, many thanks, Paul, and looking forward to it. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, quick disclaimers, I'm not charging a fee. Uh, this is not advice or a recommendation, and I don't hold shares personally. Please always do your own research on investments. Um, as usual, Nick, could we start by asking you to give an overview of Norcross, please? Yes, um, Norcross is a leading supplier of bathroom and kitchen products in selected geographies, and our main markets would be the UK and South Africa. And in doing so, we offer strong brands, contemporary designs, trusted quality, outstanding service, innovation, and a wide product range. Okay, great. Yeah, I've just been looking at your website, actually, and uh, norcross.com, and you've got some lovely stuff, haven't you? Really, really nice designs. Yeah, we're, we're extremely proud of our product. Um, we're extremely proud of um, the investment that we make in new product development, and it is, mm. um, it's, it is the lifeblood of our business. Um, yeah. Something that we... You know, we monitor, we call it the Vitality Index, and we monitor that on a regular basis. Mm. Um, but we've um, we've won lots of plaudits from customers, and, and, you know, in a nice way, we continue to win various awards for our products. So it's, um, yeah, it's n nice to be able to understand what we make. It's quite easy to understand that. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I mean, I've followed Norcross for years, um, and we met actually uh, quite a few years ago, I think, and uh, I'm probably asking quite a lot of the similar questions to that to, to I asked you uh, when we met back then. So um, the reason for me asking you on today is because I was impressed with your recent interim results. Um, I covered them in yesterday's Stockopedia report. Now, earnings were only slightly down for, for the first half, and you've described them as resilient, which I think is, is, is fair in the current tough macro conditions. So where do you see things going now? Are we heading into a recession, and how, how would that impact Norcross? Um, I'm going to leave it to other people to uh, decide whether we're heading into a recession. I, I don't want to get too um, down and, and gloomy. I think the most important thing for for our business is to concentrate on the uh, opportunities and there are these are numerous both in terms of organic and indeed by acquisition one of the things that we've been highly successful with is by growing our share uh, in this market in the UK and indeed in in South Africa in you know if you think about it you know, since February 2020, uh, there's been one set of new challenges after another. Mm. Uh, and notwithstanding that, we've continued to increase our revenues and we've continued to um, increase our share. And I think that, that is our mantra. That is our objective. That doesn't mean we're complacent about the outlook um, but we we are prepared um, to 
you know, take decisive action if we need to, if the if the volume outlook is looking considerably worse than we think it is. But I think the most important thing is for us to concentrate on our business and uh, indeed um, to increase market share. And we've got some great examples of that where we've acquired uh, a number of businesses since 2013 and you know we've grown them considerably by doing that and leveraging off our uh, extensive uh, distribution channels and I would probably cite the Merlin business um, as a good example of that where we have almost double revenues uh, since we acquired it. Gosh impressive actually let's jump to acquisitions as we've we've just briefly talked about that i remember uh, years ago when we met you you explained that the um the the the, the strategy was to acquire complementary businesses and um feed them into your distribution channels and grow them and all at reasonable valuations so and i don't think the stock market's giving you any credit for the fact that you've done a series of very successful acquisitions and doubled the size of the group so so talk us through your your acquisition strategy then the process so um we we're not going to buy um turnaround situations we're interested in buying uh good businesses that have demonstrated growth that are profitable, uh, cash generative, and typically uh, businesses with market-leading positions that have um, strong management teams. So, you know, we're we're backing the management team, we're backing the the vision, and we're looking to grow the business faster under the Norcross umbrella. Um, then that business could have grown as a, you know, single entity. And typically, the businesses that we have bought um, are privately owned businesses. And for whatever reason, whether it's a generational thing, or whether you know the existing owners don't want to invest further risk capital, um, then we're particularly interested in bringing that business. Um, into our group and one of the mantras that we have is from from day one we want that business to run um, business as usual but we will provide it with the know-how the capital um, direction and um, access to our broader distribution channels and again if you take the Merlin business as a, as a good example then you know we've doubled the sales into the uh, specification segment since we acquired it plus we've gained listings in you know the likes of Wix and Screwfix where we've got um, strong relationships uh, across our other brands so the emphasis is you know how do we drive revenue synergies uh, rather than, um, you know, a cost focus. Hmm. Yeah, so it does sound like they add value, or you can add value to them. But why would the vendors of these successful private companies want to sell? Well, I think, as, as I mentioned, Paul, uh, um, sometimes they, you know, they've reached a certain age. 
okay. and there's yeah. no family to pass it down to, or they they believe they've taken it as as far as they can, and you know they want to realise some of their investment off the table, and yeah. you know that typically <coughs> that typically is the case. Um, so you know they are uh, the characteristics that we we look for. Uh, you know they are good businesses in their own right. So how can we, as Norcross, double the size of that business, retain the profitability and the cash generation uh, at the same time? Mm. And can you bring expertise on sourcing as well to help improve their margins and overheads and so on? Yeah, I think we can we can bring expertise on that because um, I think our supply chain infrastructure. Uh, particularly in China, is probably second to none. In this industry, we have in excess of 30 people on the ground in China uh, in several locations uh, very close to uh, our suppliers. We've got in excess of 120 suppliers in China, well-established relationships. And, you know, I can recall... Uh, first entering China with the Triton business back in uh, approximately 1998. Um, so we go we go back a long way, and uh, doing business with China for a small private business, you know, can be quite troublesome. Yeah, yeah, that actually brings neatly to my questions about the supply chain. So what what percentage of your product is made in China? Um, so I'm going to answer it another way. It's a high percentage. Uh, the only products that we manufacture totally um, would be tiles and adhesives uh, in the UK and South Africa. And there'd be a high proportion of our bathroom products which we uh, source from China. It's not solely from China. Uh, we also source from uh, Europe, continental Europe, uh, Turkey, Brazil, uh, just to name a few others. But um, the major, the major part of our bathroom products business uh, is ex-China. Yeah, why is it that Western in the West we buy practically all our consumer goods from China? Because they're not a low-wage, low-cost producer anymore, are they? Um, I think that I would say they're still lower cost, and I have to say, you know, that they've invested in the, you know, the infrastructure, and I think, mm. um, you know, we're always looking at different sources. Uh, whether it's Taiwan or other places, but I think to replicate um, certainly for our industry what there is in in China is you know that's that's going to be quite an ask I would I would suggest, and mm. it, it's not just our industry uh, which is reliant on China. I think we've seen it you know during the COVID shutdown periods how it's affected uh, other industries. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to another company the other day um, who import a lot of product for all their product, I think, from China. And he was the CEO of that company was saying that Chinese are just so good at it; they get the quality right, they meet the delivery times, and so on. 
Is yeah. that uh, something you can confirm as well? Yeah, I can. I mean, I have to say, you know, I've been asked that question uh, several times over the last two or three days in, in terms of our uh, supply chain, where we are in China. Uh, you know, is that still a material issue for us? And I'm pleased to say that it isn't. Um, you know, our service standards now are back to the levels that we were uh, enjoying pre-COVID. And, you know, one of the issues that happened during COVID, as you know well, uh, was the um, availability of sea containers. Uh, yes. And that situation has uh, eased uh, dramatically, you know, just in the last two or three months. Mm. And, you know, again, um, I would not say that our sales are being held back by um, supply chain uh, issues in China, far from it. And I think the other thing that we can give Paul that the smaller business, businesses can't is that the benefits of scale. Um, you know, the fact that we can afford to have people on the ground in China, and I think when it comes to sea container rates, then, you know, we've been using our, um, if you like, our clout and our purchasing power when negotiating sea container rates on a on a group basis uh which would be more effective than you know people dealing with smaller volumes yeah and uh i mean the the, the fall in the sea container rates is, cost has been extraordinary hasn't it peaking around eighteen nineteen thousand dollars now down to about two and a half or three or something so that must be now a really nice strong tailwind for you for your margins plus with the additional benefit of not having actual supply quantities restricted. Um, so that, that's quite bullish for margins, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, don't, don't forget that, um, you know, it moved dramatically in the other direction. And at the same time, um, you know, raw, raw material cost inputs have increased quite dramatically uh, when you're talking about copper, brass, aluminium, glass, polymers, sand, cement, um, some of the raw materials which are involved in, you know, intensive energy processing um, are still uh, quite stubbornly high. Mm. But um, it, it, it is nice to see the sea freight container rates uh, coming down. It's going to take some time to obviously work through uh, because we've had commitments um, for some period of time to secure availability uh, and of course you know, we've also got stock which has been uh, purchased on that basis as well yeah yeah so it'll so yeah it'll it'll take time to feed it'll through take time but it but it's most definitely a a move in the in the right direction well, yeah, that's encouraging. And I suppose the obvious question that none of us really know the answer to, but um, the potential for you know conflict between the West over Taiwan and China, doesn't that leave you quite vulnerable with your supply chain? Um, I suppose it's a question that I'm asked um, from time to time about our, you know, when we look at our risk, um, supply chain risk and the risks of the business, um, but it's, you know, I, I put it in a different context. If I don't think we 
in the bathroom products industry um, are going to be the most impacted by, you know, any embargo or trade conflict with with China. Unfortunately, uh, every single ind industry is impacted and deals with China. Uh, maybe not directly. I mean, we I'll give you a good example. Um, you know, we thought we were sourcing some product from Europe uh, until we found out that some of the key components of that product were actually being sourced from China. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it was held back because of the Chinese COVID situation. So, um, probably not the answer that you want to hear, but I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic. Yeah, we are not going to be able to overnight to replicate the infrastructure that China has um, for our industry, or indeed. Um, many, many other industries, which comes back to the point about having, and we've consciously and deliberately done this, we've increased our inventory holdings, uh, both in the UK uh, and in South Africa be because of that. And, you know, that probably goes against the grain of uh, increasing working capital. But we felt that, um, you know, that's been necessary as a uh, precautionary uh, action, um, you know, inventory, having inventory is king. Yes. Um, quite frankly. So so we, we've, we've got some buffer here in the UK. We have a buffer in, in South Africa. And, you know, that did pay uh, dividends uh, in the early days of COVID when we were still able to supply our customers from our local inventory. Yeah, great. Let's talk about South Africa then, because it's, <clears throat> it's a big part of uh, your group. Um, so how, and, it, and, and it generates a lot of profit for you. So, so how do you see risk and reward relating to South Africa? Well, um, we've been in South Africa since the mid-1950s, uh, and we've built and strengthened that business um, certainly over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, our South African business is number two in the market, and again, undoubtedly, we have gained share at the expense uh, of all the competitors. Again, you know, it's 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 using it's using our scale uh, to do that. Uh, the business is well invested. It's profitable. It's it's cash generative. Um, yes, there are different risks there, uh, but we know the market extremely well. Uh, we have uh, a very experienced, capable management team. Uh, that's on par with any management team we have in the UK. And, you know, in terms of uh, managing a business in South Africa from a time zone dimension, uh, we're only one or two hours, um, you know, time difference away. So uh, having managed businesses in Australia, India, and parts of Greece, um, in fact, the, the South African one from a, 
logistics point of view is much easier to to manage so um, different risks but also um greater rewards and, and greater opportunities for growth because um certainly compared to the UK uh the market for our products is still relatively uh immature uh the UK is a mature market and penetration levels uh, for our products would still be low by Western standards. So there's, you know, in terms of showering, in terms of tile use, then penetration is far lower than than what we have in the UK. So the opportunities there, and the you know the the players in the market are much more concentrated. Mm. Okay, and instability or political risk? How do you see that for South Africa? Uh, well, I think they they probably say that the what the my South African colleagues have seen in the UK <laughs> um, in in the last um, six or seven weeks, they keep asking me what's going on. Yes, and um, you know I say, well, I don't quite know, uh, but joking apart. Um, I think because we've operated out there for a long period of time, uh, we're certainly not complacent about it, but we, you know, we're definitely alive to it. And if you talk about exchange rates, I never thought I'd be saying that the rand has been more stable than sterling, mm. um, certainly over the last um, six or twelve months. So, um, you know, and I think from our our results speak for themselves. Uh, the performance in South Africa has been a resilient performance and it's been on an upward trend. And in fact, if you looked at our numbers probably over the last two or three years, most of the growth, apart from acquisitions, has come from South Africa. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, when we spoke a few years ago, you, I, I remember you saying that look, people say to me, why don't we dispose of it? But you said, but it's a great business and it's, it's growing and producing good profits, so why would we want to sell it? Is that uh, still uh, your view? And cash. Yes. And, you know, cash is, cash is king. I mean, we haven't uh, injected, um, certainly for, I can't remember the last time we injected any funds in South mm. Africa. We must go back 15, 20, 25 years. So everything we've done in South Africa has been self-generated. Yeah, and does it, it presumably pays pays cash divvies to the holding company in the UK? Does it? Uh, no, no, it doesn't because we've been expanding all the time over there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now I know you're going to groan, but the pension scheme—it always comes up, doesn't it? Uh, and again, years ago, you said we're going to grow by acquisition to dilute the pension fund to become less of an issue. And obviously, you've kept up the overpayments into it, and you've done everything you, you, you said you were going to do. But the market still doesn't give you any credit for it. I mean, I think your current PE ratio is about is under five. So, I mean. It must be frustrating for you because obviously your shares are, your, are partly a currency to make acquisitions. But if you're only rated on a PE of 4.6 or something, that doesn't really give you scope to issue fresh equity. So, and the share price itself is down to a similar level that it was about almost 10 years ago. So, where do you see things going, and what can you do to build more enduring shareholder value? Um, I think Paul. Uh, um 
we've we've got to continue doing um, what we've been doing and delivering on all those fronts. And if you uh, think back to you know the various legacy issues that we've had to deal with in terms of underwater leases, uh, the pension scheme, we we closed it to. Uh, future accrual and new membership in 2013, and the you know the pension dynamic um, you know is a, a much lesser issue uh, than it was 10 years ago because as, as we built the group, then um, you know the and the fact that it's now in a accounting surplus, it's a super mature scheme. So. I think we've got to keep on the journey, and the pension piece will you know, dwindle over time. Um, and I think we we will get the re-rating that we deserve. And I think um, you know, in terms of if you looked at um, total shareholder return um, over the last ten years. Um, then I think you know something like a hundred pound invested in 2012, certainly at the end of March 2022, uh, would have been worth just under three pounds, uh, or three hundred pounds rather. Yeah, a three three times increase um, in the investment. So mm. um, <clears throat> it's it's frustrating to see the valuation um, but we've got to keep working on it and uh, removing or making these you know um, areas of uh, valuation drag smaller and I think yes. you know the pension is a the pension is a good example of that the underwater leases were completely out of uh, the business is focused it's Firing on all cylinders, and it's it's profitable and highly cash generative. And I think in the you know the the analyst presentation, it's probably at the the back of the deck on slides 36 and 37. Uh, if anybody was wanted to look at that, then you know our track record of growth um, is impressive, and you know not just in terms of revenue and underlying operating profit but our use of capital you know we've taken the return on capital employed uh, we've almost doubled it from FY13 yeah it's it's true i mean I, I i don't really understand why the stock market doesn't give you any credit for all the things you have achieved here i mean i looked at, in the most recent interim results um the the cash the deficit uh, recovery cash contributions of, for the pension scheme and now only about 15% of underlying profit before tax and that's including the 2 million per annum admin costs of the pension scheme as well. So that's really relative to the size of the business now, quite a, a small issue, isn't it? Yes, it, it, it is and um, you know, I think it will get smaller because it's a super mature scheme. I mean, I think uh, average age of pensioners is something like um, 77 and you know it will get smaller yeah. um, so it's um, it's something that we've you know got to keep working on um, 
I'm optimistic and, and confident about our uh, proposition and um, it, we're making a success of um, taking market share. Yeah. And let's talk about the bank debt as well. Uh, you made a pretty hefty acquisition in the first half and now net debt, uh, I think just under 60 million and you're well within your facilities and so on. Um, but the only risk I can see is that if we have a bad recession, the um, you know the bank covenants could maybe come under pressure because that that did happen in the 2008 recession. I remember I looked back at it the other day. Uh, I mean it worked out fine in the end, but profitability bounced back and everything recovered. So so this time round, are you are you prioritising debt reduction in case we go into a worse recession? Um, I think that our focus on uh, cash flow and cash cash flow management is is second to none. It's a it's a um, key priority for us as well as you know new business opportunities. So you know I, I could not foresee that the we were going to end up or we were going into a, a recession uh, when we purchased the Grant Westfield business. Mm. What I was very keen on was making sure that we didn't uh, over-leverage the business, and we haven't done that, hence why we did raise um, uh, some $18 million in, in fresh equity. And that was the same, um, if you like, position and same view that we had when we bought the Merlin business back in 2017. We raised half of the $60 million through fresh equity, uh, because, you know, having managed the business through the global f financial crisis back in 2000, 2008, 2009, um, you know, I wanted to make sure uh, that the management and shareholders remained in control of the business and with sufficient flexibility and optionality. So uh, I think where we've got the bank debt, is appropriate. Uh, we're not going to leverage the business over one and a half, two times uh, EBITDA, and you know we're very focused on uh, what the outlook might look like. So um, I think you know we can operate the business uh, appropriately within our within our covenants, which give us that flexibility, and I think. Uh, testament to what we've done is um, is the experience of COVID, where you know as a listed business uh, we did not raise or need to raise uh, fresh equity from the market. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> Just in terms of then um, investor relations, obviously be, being a small cap, the private investors are the people who create the liquidity and set the share price more than the institutions. Um, <clears throat> but I can't find any broker notes available on Research Tree, so I just wanted to give you a nudge on that to see if you could maybe um, get some broker coverage so that the and maybe doing results webinars for private investors as well. That would be another um, something I would suggest. I mean, have you any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think you're, you're absolutely right to re- raise it, Paul, and thank you for for raising it. And I was talking to uh, somebody else about it um, only yesterday, and I think there is more that we can do on that side. We have had sessions with um, previously with um, private investors, but um, you know we need to do more. So, yeah. um, you know. Your, your nudge is um, <laughs> very, very timely, I would say. Good, thanks. Well, I, I, I would um, recommend PI World. Tamsin and Tim there are very good. And also Investor Meet Company, I think, are very good. And also David Streder at Mellow. Those are the three that I think uh, are worth considering. Um, so it'd be great if you if you were to go on those. I should mention as well, you you have put the slide deck for the interim results presentation on your website, and there's also a recording of a video, I think, presentation, isn't there? So that's positive. Yes. Um, great. Yeah. Well, I, think that's, I think that's covered everything I wanted to cover. Are there any key points that you want to, that you want to mention that we haven't covered, or do you want to summarise anything? Um, I think what what I would say, Paul, is that we, you know, I think as we touched on, the the business has been transformed in the uh, last 10 years. It's a resilient, uh, focused, profitable and cash generative business that that investors can understand with with an attractive portfolio of market-leading businesses. And I, I think notwithstanding the perhaps the you know somewhat you know gloomy outlook the future for our business is extremely bright and um i'm you know con- continually excited by the opportunities to grow it mm. yeah great stuff well let's hope at some point the stock market actually recognizes you know the value in the business and the progress he's made yeah uh, that, it seems- that, 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 that's certainly the plan paul <laughs> yeah, it just seems it just seems permanently under a cloud, doesn't it, in terms of really, really low valuation, and yet investors can get a five and a half percent dividend yield as well. Which uh... I think the um, yeah, there's the you know I touched on with um, with somebody else yesterday. The improving the liquidity in the stock is mm. um, is also something that we you know need to work on. Yeah, great. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Thanks for thanks for the update, Nick. Much appreciated. I think we've covered everything. So, shall we wrap it up there? Yes, Paul. Thank you very much indeed. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much again. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk uh, talk in 2023 again. I hope. Yes, indeed. Look forward Smashing. to it. Many thanks, thanks, Nick. Bye. Cheers. Bye.